Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. Get your popcorn ready or don't or have it ready in case you want to troll your opponent later in the game. I don't know what that was. I don't know how Big Al the Elephant knew to have popcorn ready because Lane Kiffin didn't say that until the pregame interview. So very quick work by the Alabama Spirit staff. But Sam Khan, welcome in. We have a crazy day of college football to talk about. Not so crazy at the top where the uh, the the two best teams in the SEC just absolutely demolished opponents that were supposed to test them. But we did have a, a group of five power exerting itself against an independent power. We had the best team, at least we think, in the Pac-12 falling. And we had two big money SEC coaches with losses that have people going, hmm. Actually, make that three. Let's make that three. <laughs> what a night. What a day. Good Lord. It's been a packed day. I, this day did not disappoint. We looked at the schedule. We knew it was going to be an actor. We thought it was going to be an active day. You never know how those things go. You know, we, we always look at the schedule and when it's not good and think it's not going to be good and it turns out to be great. Sometimes the great schedules turn out to be duds. Today was really active, really interesting plenty of t- to talk about and certainly uh it's been an exciting long day and still going as we sit here Arizona State's up on UCLA 3223 right now as we speak in the third quarter so that's uh, right we got a little Pac-12 after dark I may not have to stay awake and record a new intro if there's a, a just an insane finish to this game because we may be still be recording <laughs> when it ends uh but it it was it was definitely a one of those days where the picture started to come into focus a little more at the top. Georgia is really freaking good. I, we've said this, and we, we thought their defense was good, and then we said, ah, oh, but they only played Clemson, and Clemson's offense hasn't been very good. Georgia's really freaking good. Can we just say that now? Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, this this was one of this was that game. It's like if, if you keep waiting for them to prove it to you, to, to say, okay, Kirby Smart said it earlier, he goes, you know, we ain't played nobody. Well, now you beat Alabama. Now you beat Arkansas. And I'm going to tell them again, we ain't played nobody. So they can keep this defense uh, playing the way it is right now. But they have not given up. The first team defense has not given up a touchdown yet. It's, and, it's, and it's insane. It, it is it is a dominant, dominant defense. And KG Jefferson looked healthier than I, I thought he would come in looking for this game and was moving around fairly well. And Arkansas, which demolished Texas which moved the ball enough to beat Texas A&M, couldn't do anything offensively. Nothing. And, I mean, that that's the part. Because we've seen them play against pretty good teams and pretty good defenses and get results. They got nothing. <laughs> and it was late first quarter. They had one yard, I think it was. 
all one yard of offense late in late in the first. It it was it was a domination, just destruction, back to back shutouts, first time since nineteen eighty. Familiar year for Georgia fans that they've shut oh, out SEC oh, you're opponents bringing up consecutively. When we're talking about Georgia, how dare you, Sam? <laughs> how dare you? Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt, maybe the best pair since peanut butter and jelly. I mean, seriously. Like, what what do you do? How do you block them? You can't. And and that Arkansas line is big, it's strong. And like you said, we saw what they did to Texas. We they pushed AM around too. And yeah, they, they, AM's they got DeMarvin Leal. He's a he's a projected first round pick on their D line. They, but they couldn't do anything against these guys. So yeah, I, I'm I'm amazed. And we will talk about the the Auburn LSU game a little bit later, but you watch that game, you you experience the Bo Nix experience, and I, I think what may have happened, and, and this may be the one of the best moves of Brian Harson's career, maybe the best play calling he's done since uh since he called circus and statue back when he was with Boise State in 06. Uh he basically told Bo Nix just run around and make some stuff happen. <laughs> I think. Maybe they called actual plays. I don't know. I it's not what it looked like. But just imagine what that is going to look like next week against Georgia's defense. I don't know how much you can run around. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be very much running around. There will be they running don't let backward. You run around because you're down. <laughs> they hit you. <laughs> there might be some running backward. Uh, there might be some running back ten yards behind the line of scrimmage to try and escape these guys. But yeah, I, I, that that crazy touchdown where he basically covered. 80 yards of ground before firing into the <laughs> end zone. That's not going to be happening. little brother. <laughs> That's not going to be happening next week. I can promise you. N- no. And let's, okay. So let's move over to Tuscaloosa and we, we hyped up this game. I, I will take credit for that. I, I thought Ole Miss had a chance coming into this game. I thought Matt Corral would be the best quarterback Alabama played. And, and for the first 15 plays of that game, I thought I was right. As soon as Alabama stopped them on fourth down in the red zone, that was the end of that. And then Lane Kiffin decides to go completely Roy McAvoy. If you hadn't seen 10 Cup, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Go watch 10 Cup. But basically, Lane Kiffin is Kevin Costner's character at the U.S. Open in 10 Cup. He just kept firing at that green and kept dunking in the wall. Okay, I did spoil 10 cup for you. I'm sorry. But <laughs> kept going for it on fourth. And, and look, I know that's the only way they had a chance is if they make some fourth down, suck Alabama into a shootout. But here's here's the thing about Alabama and Georgia, Sam, that, that impressed me that I, I think this is what everybody else has to reckon with. You've got all these defenses now that drop eight. And they're like, okay, we're going to make you run on us. We're going to dare you to run. You're not going to, your quarterback's not going to be able to beat us. Well, guess what? Neither Alabama nor Georgia need to beat you through the air. <laughs> That's a throwback game for, for Alabama. You saw some 22 personnel in, in, yep. in the goal line packages, some old school lining up under center. They, they got no problem doing that. What was it? Georgia ran the ball 57 times through at 11. I was shocked if they that they would even consider throwing the ball in the second half. I figured <laughs> Stetson Bennett would not throw a pass in the second half. There, there was no need to. And and again, that's their backup quarterback in there. You know, JT Daniels still hurt. You saw him wincing. He had the oblique. 
I believe it's now moved up to his lat. I think the next <laughs> yes. stop is the trapezius. <laughs> but we'll see. I mean, I don't even know if he has to come back at this point because they are just so – it feels like they are so far ahead of everybody else, those two programs. And I realize that, that Alabama did only win by two at Florida, but they did win. Maybe that was their clunker. Maybe that's the worst they're going to play. I don't know. But here, here's the thing that makes this really interesting. What, what, is, what do two SEC results have to do with, a, with a, an American conference team playing an independent in South Bend, Indiana? Well, everything when we're talking about the playoff, because you've got this alliance here that, that has said, we must slow down the expansion of the playoff because we're oh, very mad man. at the SEC for taking <laughs> the two teams that we would have all taken if we could have taken them. Uh, what's going to happen, Sam? When three of the teams in the playoff are Alabama, Georgia, and Cincinnati. None of those are in the alliance, by the way. I think we may speed up this 12-team expansion. I think we may stop pumping the brakes and we may get over those hurt feelings that we have that Greg Sankey was working on this playoff subcommittee while he knew that he was bringing in Texas and Oklahoma. You know what? You've said it before. It's – it hurt – it any – playoff format that comes out is good for the SEC. It doesn't matter what you do. The SEC is going to be in a great position. So do what's best for yourself. And for everybody else, 12 teams is the best option. And you bring up Cincinnati. Nicole Auerbach wrote the column today, and I think she's right. After this win today over Notre Dame, if they run the table, they absolutely deserve a shot in the 14 playoff, in my opinion. Well, and Here's what's interesting about this. And and look, Notre Dame's got quarterback issues. They're certainly not a perfect team, as evidenced by them losing to Cincinnati today. But look at the rest of Notre Dame's schedule. It's not out of the question that Notre Dame goes 11-1. and And if Notre Dame is 11-1, and it will catapult Cincinnati into the playoff. There will be no choice but to put Cincinnati in the playoff if Cincinnati is undefeated, and maybe even if Cincinnati's 11-1. and one. But probably if they're undefeated, I, I don't know what you do. I don't, I, I don't know how they keep them out. Yeah, I think, I think they have to run the table. The next, the, the next game that's really going to be an opportunity for them to really get a ranked win is probably November SMU. 20th against SMU. SMU's 5-0 and right now. They'll probably crack the top 25 pretty soon. Uh, they're looking really, really good. That if if SMU can get to that game with no losses or one loss and be a top twenty-five team, that would be huge, a huge resume builder at the end for Cincinnati. And, and I think they need that. You know, Bill Hancock has said it before when we talked about these Group of Five scenarios. He likes to throw out that 2016 Houston team that beat Oklahoma, beat a top five Louisville team, and he says if they would have not lost three games, they would have run the table. That's probably the team that could have gotten it. Well, this is your next best scenario here. If you beat a you beat a ranked Notre Dame team, a top ten Notre Dame team on the road, you've already beaten Indiana on the road. If you can beat a top twenty five SMU that's nine and one or ten and zero going into November twentieth, and then you're going to get a conference championship game at the end of that. I think that's pretty good. I think that's a pretty good resume if you're unbeaten for Cincinnati. Well, I almost think Notre Dame's record the rest of the way is just as important as, as Cincinnati running the table. No question. I, I think 10 and two helps, but 11 and one does it. And look, Virginia tech, USC, North Carolina is the one at the beginning of the season. We said, Oh, that's the team that's going to beat. What has North Carolina done 
that tells us they can beat Notre Dame in Notre Dame Stadium. Not, nothing. They, they have not been impressive this year. Navy's not good this year. They did win their first game against UCF. They beat UCF. Virginia's beatable. Georgia Tech had the really good game against North Carolina, but then turned around and got just shellacked by Pitt on Saturday. And then you got the Stanford team that just beat Oregon, but it's also the Stanford team that that got manhandled by Kansas State. So mm-hmm. Notre Dame at 11-1 and one is a distinct possibility, and it's not going to make the playoff because Notre Dame as an independent, the trade-off in a 14 playoff is it must be 12-0 and 0 to make the playoff. But if they're 11-1, and one, the problem is you can't put Cincinnati below them. That's right. Head to and head. Be, and Notre Dame may be sitting there at five or six. And and Cincinnati's going to get if Cincinnati's run the table, they're going to get that extra game with the conference championship. So, yeah, which would presumably yep. be against a really good team in the conference. Correct. So I, I think that makes this just a really fascinating scenario uh, for Georgia and Alabama. Their their situations are basically look, just keep winning. If if you're if you're both undefeated going into the SEC championship game, you're both getting in. If one team has a loss going into the championship game, that team needs to win for both to get in. And that's you get your conspiracy theories up there. But another game happened in the SEC, which makes it where Georgia really is in a comfortable place. Kentucky beat Florida. First time since the 1980s that Kentucky has beaten Florida in Lexington. Uh, they broke that really long losing streak to Florida in 2018 in Gainesville. But this one was... I. It, I don't know, it, it, probably even bigger for Kentucky because I'm, I'm not sure they have the same level of team this year that they had with that Benny Snell, Josh Allen team. This is mm-hmm. this is a good Kentucky team. I'm not sure if it's as good as that one, but that's a huge win against Florida. And look, Georgia's going to beat Kentucky. We know that. Florida, weird things happen in Jacksonville, but you don't even have to win that game anymore for Georgia as long as you win the other ones. Yeah, no, no, there's there's no question. It's, I think the dominance of what they played and then I think the SEC East right now with you have, I mean, Kentucky's looking good, but like you said, they're, they they should win that game. Florida right now, one and two sitting in, in the SEC play right now. So their path looks really clear at, at this point to Atlanta. So uh, you're in a good position. You keep playing defense the way they have and you could get that crash course with Alabama in, in the SEC championship game, and you're, you're in really, really Which good Which may shape. not even matter. Yeah. You may already be yeah. in at that point. We'll be right back after these words. Coming out of Saturday, there's several fan bases feeling very differently about their coaches, and it's, more, it's, more, it's not that they didn't feel this way before. It's that there was a suspicion kind of an inkling in the backs of their minds that maybe, oh, I don't know if this is this is quite as perfect as we think. And now they're in full-blown panic mode. For Maybe they don't need to be, but they are. And that's Florida, Texas A&M, and LSU. These are all programs that expected much bigger things and are now staring down the barrel of, oh, God, this could get a lot worse. Yeah, if I'd have told you at the start of the season that five weeks in Texas A&M is last in the SEC West, would you have believed me? No, no, because I'd say that can't be possible because of of the recruiting they've done. Yes, they lost a bunch of offensive linemen, but they have talent to replace them. 
they should be able to move the ball. They can't move the ball. The the offense is not it just doesn't work. And and the problem Saturday was the defense couldn't hold up. And look, we told you at the beginning of the year that Mike Leach's team would be better that Mississippi State that offense would be better this year. The air raid is a very heavy rep based offense. The offseason last year was not the time to be trying to install it. So we, we knew they'd be better. I didn't think they'd be able to do that to Texas A&M's defense. And, and Will Rogers looked completely comfortable out there. Uh, I was I was very impressed with, with the way he handled himself in that game because that's a very hostile environment. It, and, and Kyle Field was going crazy. It really yeah, was. No, it was, but, it was so loud. now you've, you've extended Jimbo Fisher. You've given him the raise, but you, you're – you're basically exactly where you were at the same point under Kevin Sumlin. Yeah, it, it's actually, believe it or not, in the first three years, their records are remarkably similar through the first three years of their tenures. Uh, but the, the thing that stunned me the most about that game was Mike Leach came in and did what Mike Leach does. They threw it 59 times. They yep. ran it 12. Uh, 12 if you don't count the kneel downs and, and sacks. And and they couldn't Texas A&M couldn't cover them. If there was one thing I thought you could rely on upon this A&M team, it was its defense. And they couldn't cover them man to man. They couldn't cover them zone. The pressure wasn't consistent. Uh, and they are Texas A&M. This team is lost right now. They they are they are soul searching. Zach Calzada obviously struggling a little bit uh, coming in for Haynes King at quarterback and uh, Isaiah Spiller's playing pretty well, but that's really about it offensively that you've got you can rely on, rely upon and you need a lot more than that in the SEC West. And oh, by the way, guess who's coming to town next week? Alabama. Alabama. And then you've got LSU, which that loss to Auburn, and, and remember, they they escaped Starkville with a win last week, but they got to go to Lexington. Then they get the Gators in Baton Rouge. In, in a game where Florida's going to be feeling very must-win-ish at that point, too. And then you start to wonder, because, you know, that 2017 LSU-Florida game in Gainesville was a weird one, because it was it, that was Ed Orgeron basically coaching for his job. And in the process, he essentially put Jim McElwain at DEFCON 1. We didn't realize it when the game ended, but it became abundantly clear within the next few days. And I don't think Dan Mullen's in any danger, but I do think Dan Mullen at that point will be in danger of losing the fan base. They're, they're playing Vanderbilt next week. So I'm not, I'm not particularly worried about Florida next week, but I I've been saying this all year, you know, the Florida fans in love with Dan Mullen to a point, but they expect championships. They're very spoiled. You remember they, between 1990 and, and 2008, they had, I believe it was nine SEC championships and, and three national championships. They expect more than just double-digit wins. Well, that's not going to happen if you lose to LSU. It's probably not going to happen anyway because you're probably going to lose to Georgia. But they are they are in panic mode because, you know, it, it's it's – been up to this point okay so Dan Mullen doesn't recruit like Kirby Smart or Nick Saban he doesn't get all those five stars he doesn't recruit like Jimbo Fisher but he's a better X's and O's coach than everybody else and therefore that will carry the day well he just played against a guy who's a very good recruiter 
for his for his weight class, Mark Stoops, which by the way, so was Dan Mullen at Mississippi State. And Mark Stoops, excellent X's and O's guy. Guess what? Eight false starts later, Mark Stoops wins the game. And Dan Mullen is in the press conference talking about how they, they outgained Kentucky like that matters. You lost. 15 penalties for 115 yards. 15. And then 155 yards. 155. Oh, wow. I wrote that wrong. I wrote that down wrong. Either way, that's still bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 76 yard block punt return. And yeah, that's, it's bad. It's, it's, if, if I'd have told you that Will Levis threw for se- seven for 17 for 87 yards, you would have thought Kentucky got blown out. I would have thought Florida won by 20. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yet yeah, here we are. That, that's it. And, and so, a lot of screaming about why why didn't you play Anthony Richardson more? Why why this? Why that? And that I I'm I sympathize with Dan Mullen on on the Emory Jones Anthony Richardson Anthony Richardson thing. Emory Jones knows the offense. I'm sure Dan Mullen is much more comfortable with him and with the game on the line. Anthony Richardson has been hurt. He did some amazing things in the first two games against less than stellar competition. When he came in on Saturday, he didn't score every time he touched the ball. So I, I, I with I understand where Dan Mullen's coming from on that one, but there will be, let's say they go to LSU and they struggle offensively. There will be the, the massive drum beat for you got to try something or else you're not going to be able to beat Georgia. Yeah. And, and on a similar note with LSU, they've got to go to Kentucky next week, yes. to Lexington. And you know, like Kentucky comes off this big win and you know, you you get to see a little bit. Okay, how mature is this team? How are they going to handle that? But this is a big game for Ed Orgeron going next week on the road against an undefeated Kentucky team. So these coaches are in a little bit of a tough spot right now. I know we know obviously Ed you know won the title a couple of years ago, but this three and two start has been has been rough for LSU the way they started against UCLA. But, but LSU feels like a place where they're more more apt than, say, Florida or Alabama or, or somewhere like that to do something impulsive and and do the Gene Chizik thing if it doesn't if it doesn't get better. And, and look, if they don't lose another one or if they just lose to Alabama, then they're probably okay. But let's say they lose to Alabama. That's three losses. Mm-hmm. You lose to Kentucky, that's four. You lose to Florida, that's five. Like... Where's this? Where's this end? A and M, by the way, could still beat them, depending they on how all, things go. They still got all Miss on the road too. It, it it it's high ceiling, low floor for LSU, and and the floor gets really ugly if if it doesn't get better. But I just you know the throw it up and and hope Kayshawn Boutte comes down with it. I, I just <laughs> you you got to be able to run the ball at some point, LSU. 25 attempts for 32 yards. That includes sacks. So sorry, sorry about that. I wish college football would back those out. But <laughs> the lack of an effective running game for LSU is is probably the biggest problem. And and they should have been able to salt that game away. And they just couldn't. And you know, that that's where they're at. So you you've got the three existential crises going on in the SEC right now. I would guess that one or two of them will resolve themselves. The team will turn around. They will, you know, the, their their fans will not be thrilled with the way this season went, but will ultimately be all right. That's good. 
at least one of these is headed for abject disaster. I just don't know which one it is. Yeah, I don't know either. It's hard to tell. I wonder if I wonder if it's A and M based on the fact that they just have that buzzsaw next week coming to town. That'll be if it goes the way we think it's going to go. That's three straight losses for them. Well, and, re- and remember how in the Sumlin era they they would always go undefeated into the Alabama game and then just get. I don't know if it was physically beaten down, psychologically damaged, what it was, oh. but they would completely fall off the map after that. So Jimbo's got to get them get them right this week. They got to put up a fight against Alabama because if they get if they get crushed, it could go real bad. Yeah, and and they just like you said, offensively they cannot move the ball right now, and that's I think that's the biggest problem defensively. I I think they'll they'll rectify themselves defensively, but offensively they've got a lot of issues to fix, and they're not easy fixes at this point. We, we- we moved to the Big Ten where another team can't move the ball. Wisconsin can't block. I never thought I'd see the day when Wisconsin couldn't block, but they can't block. Michigan wins that game fairly easily. I, I think Michigan's I think Michigan's pretty good. This definitely was a was a passing of a test by Michigan because uh, Wisconsin the last two seasons has gone into the half up 28 nothing on Michigan. You know, when jump around came on in 2019, the Michigan players were just getting getting creamed and the staring up at the end of the distance. And now they're jumping around with all the Wisconsin fans because they know they're going to win this game. They've got a resurgent Nebraska next week. Nebraska looked awesome against Northwestern. I didn't think, didn't think <laughs> didn't I'd see, see that, that coming. either. Well, I listen, Nebraska's defense was good against Oklahoma. It was excellent in the second half against Michigan state. Nebraska should have beaten Michigan state, but they this that was a cleansing game that they had against Northwestern. So we'll we'll see what happens with those two teams. I still am a little bit jury out on Michigan only because Wisconsin was so inept offensively that it felt like we still don't know what Michigan is. And I know we still might not know after next week, but you know what? If they keep winning, just be happy, everybody. Gotta give them credit. Exactly. Exactly. So the I want to move to another uh, another team that we, we talked about last week as, okay, will they ever get this figured out? Will the offense get going? Oklahoma went to Manhattan, Kansas. And we've been saying if they could just block, if they could just open some holes, if they could run, they ran at will in that second half. And I think you saw how much of a difference that makes for, for Spencer Rattler and for everybody. No, it's it's huge. They they need they needed to get him comfortable again. You know, he was a little rattled. Uh, Kennedy Brooks solid six six point one yards to carry today. Uh, they they needed a game like this in a big way, especially offensively. Uh, you got a little bit on their heels defensively with you know Skylar Thompson coming back uh, unex- a little bit unexpectedly. Yeah, that was a little uh, less Skylar Thompson's music. Then he a was surprise. great. He was he was fantastic. Three hundred twenty yards, three touchdowns, but. I think it was a really, really good bit of a cleansing game for Oklahoma. Uh, you know, still they, they still do have a few issues up front. They had a ton of penalties up front. I think mm-hmm. uh, you know, right tackle had thirty-five worth, yards worth of penalties. The line itself had seven flags for sixty yards. That's they, a they, hostile environment in in Manhattan. It's a hard place to play. But I, you're, you're right. And and look, you're going to have to deal with with that down the road. There there are going to be hostile environments. I mean. Next week is a, is half a hostile environment, but <laughs> but the other team's pretty good too. I mean, that's 
you know, Texas goes to Fort Worth and, and finally beats TCU. You know, TCU's dominated Texas since coming to the Big 12. B. John Robinson really just put the game away. I mean, there, there was one run where if, if he makes a first down, Texas wins. And there, it feels like there have been so many times in the last eight, nine years when Texas has been in that spot and found a way to mess it up. And they didn't this time. No, I think Steve Sarkeesian kept it simple. This is my best player. This is what works. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to ride him until we can until we can win the game. And, and it wasn't working offensively with Casey Thompson. It was the first time he's really struggled since he's since he's been quarterback for them. You know, 12-22. But uh, receivers dropped a few passes today. But Bijan's the one thing he said that Sark can trust. And he said he said it. he wants him having 20 touches a game, but there's going to be some days where I need him to be 30 or more. There's going to be some days when we only need him 15 to 18. Today was one of those days, 35 rushes, 216 yards. And the way he ran at the end, dragging defenders, jump cutting yeah. in between all the traffic. I mean, Derrick Henry in 2015-esque, like getting stronger as the game went on and, and putting it away, which is what Alabama had to do with Henry at the end of that season. Yeah, and and I, it's impressive. He's you know just a sophomore, and I think this is what Texas fans have wanted. He only touched the ball ten times a game last year. A lot of fans complained, "Why are we not giving this guy the ball more? Why are we not giving the five star the ball more?" Well, you got a coach now who will give him the ball a lot, and he's averaged more than twenty touches a game so far. And guess what? They're four and one. It, you know, it, it, it's it, it. They've responded really well off of that Arkansas loss. They got smacked around in Fayetteville. And ever since, they have looked like a different ball club. And part of that is the quarterback change, but part of it I'm also, they also I think the it woke them up. Excuse of changing quarterbacks, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's made a huge difference. Uh, Casey, Casey Thompson is mature. He's got some command. He's poised, and he looks comfortable out there. He, even today, when he struggled, he didn't have a deer in the headlights look, which I think Hudson Card did in Fayetteville. There definitely was some happy feet for him in that game. And, and he's a Richard freshman. It's the first time he's in that situation. Thompson's a junior and he's been on campus for three plus years. It's a different situation. And I thought it, it, it was a big demon for them to exercise, to go beat this TCU team. Who's beaten them six out of seven and beaten them seven out of nine times since they've been in the big 12. The only, the only thing that I will say about TCU in this one is a, their run defense is a mess. They've given up 622 yards in two weeks, which is not what we expect from a Gary Patterson defense. And Gary Patterson is not doing what Steve Sarkeesian is doing, which is giving the best player Yeah, the ball. just hand it to Zach Evans. Why is that so complicated? 15 carries today for 113 yards. He was great when he had it, but he only got it 15 times. And I, I cannot, for the life of me, understand that. But that's Gary's philosophy. He wants him to have 10 to 12 touches a game, or 10, 12 carries a game, 15 touches a game. Good luck with that. I, I like Sark's strategy a little bit better. Yeah. Hand it to the people who might win you the game. That, that is, <laughs> speaking of, of, of people who might win you the game and, and planning ahead, okay, we saw Caleb Williams come in for Oklahoma a couple times. Uh, one one particularly disastrous time, but then <laughs> it was okay after that. Is that Lincoln Riley going, I might need this guy in Red River. Let's get him some snaps. Probably so, because remember last year he went and did that with uh, Tanner Mordecai, he Spencer, Spencer Rattler for a while. Yeah, he had to pull him out for a couple series in the second quarter, give him a little bit of a breather, and it worked out too. And Tanner came in and moved the ball, and Spencer was able to calm down, and and it paid off in the end. So yeah, he might need him because 
it's been very up and down for Spencer the first few weeks of the season. And so you may need that guy. Now this is a tough situation to throw a freshman in. But yeah. If you got if you've got to try if nothing's working next week against Texas and you've got to try something, you've got to get the guy some burn beforehand. So I think it was good to get him out in a road environment, shake a little bit of the nerves and get him a little bit of a few touches. And uh, and eBay worked some packages in for him anyway. I think this is part of life of having a five star quarterback behind another five star quarterback is you got to keep these guys happy too. So you yeah, find a way to get them take, in the game. Take the page from Dan Mullen where he was playing Emory Jones behind Kyle Trask and kept him from transferring and and then he becomes the starter and and now you do the same thing with Anthony Richardson. Uh, yeah, I think that's that probably has a lot to do with it. And I, I don't think that was Lincoln listening to the chants from no. from last week. But I, you're right. And, and the thing is, it's also probably just good business at this point, especially in, if you're in an offense where the quarterback is going to have to run quite a bit. The backup needs to be seasoned enough that you're comfortable putting him in to a, a big game because you just don't know when you're going to get have somebody get hit the wrong way or the helmet's going to pop off and you got to put somebody in for a play. And there's a lot of, lot of stuff that could happen. This Red River feels... It's interesting because Oklahoma's undefeated, Texas has a loss. I'm not really even looking at this as a as a playoff positioning type situation because I just the Big 12 seems evenly matched enough that I don't know that anybody's going to be able to make the playoff because I think the the champ may come out with two losses. But I will say it feels like Texas if Texas wins in Dallas, they have a real bird in hand because they get Oklahoma State at home, and Oklahoma has to go to Stillwater. And I know what you're going to say that you know you're going to throw the record at me of, of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, but this Cowboys defense looks awesome. It, they did it again. Hold Baylor to 14 points. I, this is this. It's interesting because I would I would say that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State's defenses are their their two best you know the best sides of the ball. In either case. If they keep playing like this, Oklahoma State is absolutely a Big 12 title contender. No, without question. And the funny thing is, I, I was talking about this with Max Olson and Jason Kersey earlier this week, was we kept picking against Oklahoma State because they were ugly these first four weeks of the season. None of their wins were pretty. And I said, you know what, guys? At some point, we've just got to give Oklahoma State credit and roll with it because they're, they're winning the damn ball games. And here we Being are at 5-0. At defense, yeah. Being good at defense is still a big deal, and I realize yep. it's the Big 12, but it's not the Big 12 of, of 2012. Like, no. Everybody's not running the air raid anymore. It's a different league, and if you can play D, you can win it. Uh, by the way, you, you mentioned talking to Max and Jason Kersey. That is on One True Pod. That is our Thursday show here on the Andy Staples Show and Friends feed. Uh, that, is, that is Max and Sam and Jason getting together to talk Big 12 and Lone Star State football. Uh, we've got Power Hour on Tuesdays. That's Nicole Auerbach and, and Michael Felder. Nicole's probably going to have some stories from, from South Bend. She was at the Cincinnati Notre Dame game on Saturday. Uh, on Mondays, you've got me and David Ubbin talking SEC on football and grits. And also on Sunday night going into Monday morning, this is another one, uh, not on this feed, but everybody should be listening to. If you like what we do here with college football, where we talk all the games that just happened right after they just happened. We'll go to the athletic football show 
and listen to Robert Mays break down all of the NFL games right after they've just finished because very similar format, same thing. We hit all the, the, the action that you just watched and try to digest it and try to figure out what it means in the big picture. So that's Robert Mays and the Athletic Football Show for the NFL version of this show that you're listening to right now, and you can get that. It'll be in your feed as soon as you wake up on Monday morning. Easy for your drive to work. And then a little bit later, you'll get me and David Oven talking SEC. So we've got you covered no matter what you're into. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. We started this show talking about Alabama and Georgia kind of establishing themselves at the top. I think Ohio State had kind of a bounce back against Rutgers where they looked like a dominant team again. But, you know, it's interesting because even even what we just said, Alabama and Georgia, Georgia's only made the playoff once. So they're not a, a every, every year run of the mill, you know, they're always there kind of team. Cincinnati's in position. Let's talk about Oregon now because Oregon went to Columbus and beat Ohio State. That gave the Ducks a mulligan. That said, you can you can screw up at some point in the Pac-12 schedule. And we we we've seen you guys enough. We're pretty sure you will. Well, <laughs> Saturday was the day. Oregon Oregon is winning this game. I believe the win probability was 98.7% when Stanford got the ball back the last time in regulation. But there's a play where, where Kayvon Thibodeau gets called for targeting, and he's out, and I think that probably made a huge difference. And now he won't be playing in the first half of the Cal game in, in a week and a half. But Stanford gets the ball down the field. Tanner McKee, who was not knocked out by the, the Kayvon Thibodeau hit, he was out for a play and came back in. They get five chances at that last touchdown the last play of regulation is an untimed down after a pass interference penalty. And sure enough, touchdown Stanford. They go win the game in overtime. There's your mulligan, Oregon. You get no other, you have no more margin for error. Congratulations. I tell you that, and that's a tough way to, to lose it. The, the pass interference at the end in regulation, because you, you knock that one away. You're like, well, you think you've won the game and then you get the flag and now you got to come back and defend it. Now, well, all of a sudden you got to come back in overtime after Stanford, by the way, went 88 yards downfield. So that's a tough one. And like you said, Thibodeau losing Thibodeau was tough. It, it was a whole tough thing. They've got Cal and they got to go to UCLA who right now is down 16 to Arizona state with six minutes to go. Um, but yeah, this is it. They've got it. They've got to run the table the rest of the way to have their shot and then go win the PAC 12 championship. Otherwise, we're talking about the Pac-12 being a very precarious position once again in, when it comes to the yeah. playoff race. Well, in the, in the Big 12 and the Big 10 and everybody else is like, ooh because Ohio State <laughs> could be right back in it. If, if Oregon loses another game, it unlocks Ohio State again. You know, it doesn't have to be Penn State running the table. It doesn't have to be Michigan running the table. It doesn't have to be Iowa running the table, though. All of those things could still happen, given the way everybody's <laughs> playing. Iowa looked, Iowa looked awesome on Friday night against Maryland. That was one of those I thought, okay, I'm always worried about a a road favorite on a weeknight. Iowa just obliterated Maryland thanks to, I believe it was seven turnovers. I love Iowa's defense. They're they're a lot of fun. We get Iowa-Penn State next week. Can't wait for that. But but Oregon is in the position where now they have to run the table if they want to make the playoff, but they absolutely can. 
CJ Verdell, it sounded like from what Mario Cristobal said, maybe out for a while. Uh, they were without Joe Moorhead, their offensive coordinator on Saturday. I, I'd like to think, Sam, that if if Joe Moorhead's there, they probably do win that game. They're probably the play calling is a little bit better. Maybe they put one more score on the board, and they're not sitting there trying to defend a late touchdown to tie the game. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think that it makes a big difference. And uh, like I said, those key losses you had Verdell go down, you had Thibodeau get ejected. Noah Swell came out for a little while, did come back in the game. So it was a, a rough go you know, for them and, you know, obviously not be able to pull it off in overtime, but this is still a good team. Uh, I think they got to be a little bit more, they're a lot really one dimensional at this point that yeah. they got to, they've got to get a little bit, uh, they got to expand a little bit uh, beyond that, you know, 228 rushing yards, really impressive, but they got to throw it around a little bit better than they did today. So, but they, they've got time. And like you said, I think they, they certainly are capable of running the table the rest of the way. Yeah, I think what the, what they've got to figure out is is Anthony Brown their guy going forward. Do they they try to let the freshman Ty Thompson figure out if he could be you know a little bit more dynamic? Uh, you have an open week to to kind of figure that out, and then you play Cal, which I don't know how good Cal is, but but here's the thing: you, you, UCLA has shown at times that they could be pretty good. The the team I'd be most worried about right now, if I'm Oregon, and obviously you don't play them until the end of the year, so you don't have to think about this until then. But is Oregon State. The Beavers are, are playing really well. They beat Washington on Saturday. Jonathan Smith at his alma mater just doing an incredible job. I think if you saw Oregon State beat Oregon last year, you knew that this was a guy who maybe had something special, maybe can get teams to play a little bit bigger than they actually are. And I think we're seeing that. I mean, we saw them destroy USC. We saw them beat Washington they are now alone in first place in the, in the Pac-12 North. And shoot, I, I don't know what we're calling the game anymore. It used to be called the Civil War. But that could be that could wind up being for the division if, if things you know keep going the way they're going. Well, that would be a lot of fun on November 27th, wouldn't it? That would be I a, covered one of those that, was, that was basically winner takes the Pac-10 back in, in Chip Kelly's first ago. season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jeremiah Masoli was the quarterback. Oh for my Oregon. goodness! But but it was it was a heck of a game, and 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 the Ducks won, and the fans rushed the field. You know, now they sort of they just expect this sort of thing, and I think they also expect games like Saturday. That was one thing Mario Cristobal had to kind of prove that that they've overcome, and they haven't. So now now they have no more margin for error. I, all right, Sam, I'm gonna let's do this if. I'm going to put you in the the playoff committee's shoes, but right now. And I'm going to ask you to project what happens the rest of the way. Who are there four right now? Alabama and Georgia are definitely two of them at this point. I'm going to go ahead and say Cincinnati because I do think I think they I think they're good enough. I, I think what they showed today, they're good enough to to win out the rest of the way. Then the fourth the team, fourth, is it Oregon? Is it do you, do we think Oregon can bounce back from this and go? I think go they can. The I, I I think they can run the table, but if it's not them, I think it may wind up being Ohio State. I I really do, and and I know nobody wants to hear that outside of Ohio State fans because they're tired of it. But you'd had to think. 
some of these powers that were not looking great at the beginning would come back around. And I realize it's just Rutgers and, and, you know, it could have just been a, a really bad game for them, but Ohio state looked much better. And if they rounded into form and look to do this, they're still going to have to beat Penn state, Michigan state and Michigan and probably Iowa to make that happen. But Iowa's a team. I was going to say Iowa, Iowa's a team that right now, the way they look, we we're just talking about them. The way they look right now, I mean, the, the Penn State game is going to tell us a lot next week, yes. obviously. Yeah. But if they get through that one, then Iowa, I think, is in a really good spot. Yeah, I, I like, I, I just like whoever the Big Ten champ is because they will have run a gauntlet. Yeah. And look, I don't, I know we don't know much about Michigan State still, but watching what Nebraska did to Northwestern, maybe maybe Michigan State wasn't so lucky that they beat Nebraska. Maybe it was it was just they they, they played their butts off and won the game. Uh, Michigan State, by the way, was a four and a half over under win total team. They are now five and zero. Oh. So if you bet if you bet the over, you're <laughs> holding a winner. You'll have to wait to the end of the season to cash it, but you're holding a winner right now. But but you've got them. We'll see what Michigan is. We will see. I mean, we'll see what Penn State and Iowa are next week. I, I think. But I, I just I feel like the Big Ten is a is a really nice gauntlet, and the SEC obviously is is still a gauntlet. The ACC, it's really down to Wake Forest, BC, the first <laughs> the, the last undefeated team. Goes Dave down Clawson. to Clemson. We we knew that we knew that BC was going to cover though. That was when that when that fifteen and a half point line came out. I was like, oh no, Clemson not covering <laughs> fifteen and a half. But yes, Wake survives Louisville. I I don't know that Wake can run the table in the ACC or even even be a one loss team. But it would not shock me one bit if this Wake team is ten and two at the end of the season. How 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 impressive would that be? I mean, they're, it's already impressive that they are where they are at this point at five and zero, oh, and atop the Atlantic Division. Uh, it's it is really amazing, and it's interesting because I, that that was one team I thought, and I didn't think they'd be this good, but I thought of Dave Clawson when they announced last year that they were going to do the eligibility waiver because I remember talking to him the first time I met him. We were talking about his first couple seasons at Wake Forest and how. He was hell-bent determined to redshirt as many freshmen as he could, even if it meant that they were going to lose a bunch of games. And he goes three and nine both those seasons. They've gone to bowl game every year since. And so he's, he, he was always trying to make them an older team. And then you get a situation where everybody gets an extra year. So now you have guys like, uh, like Masterson, who's the – he was a safety. They moved him to linebacker. He's now become a, a really good uh, linebacker slash pass rusher. Um, Sam Hartman's a fourth year sophomore quarterback. Now, um, miles Fox, the defensive tackle who transferred from after four years at ODU is now is his seventh year of college football. <laughs> like they are, they are, they are old and they are deep and they are the type of team. You know, it's, it's interesting because Dabo Sweeney, every year they play Wake Forest says, this is the team we hate to play the most because they're the best coach. They're the most disciplined. Well, now they're, they're deep too. Which yeah, you know, you, you you saw that against Virginia, you saw it again against Louisville. So 
We'll see. I, I don't know that they wind up being. It's interesting because two non-conference games, maybe their toughest games left on the regular season schedule other than Clemson because they got to play Army. And mm-hmm. a little, little history there called Wakey Leaks. <laughs> but Army's really good. How long has it been and since then, that? I- it hasn't been that long. It's only been, well, it was, it came out a year or two after it had happened. So, but, but it was Dave Clawson as the head coach yep. when it happened. And the other, the other non-conference game that, that could trip them up is ironically North Carolina. They, they play North Carolina in a non-conference game because the schools are 80 miles apart. And they're like, why do we not ever play each other? Mm-hmm. even though we're in the same league and we're 80 miles apart. I live in Texas. We don't do that. We don't play the schools that are 90 miles apart. From Amazing. <laughs> Why do but they do that elsewhere? To, about, <laughs> funny, funny thing tonight. Cause somebody resurfaced a, a tweet I had had from, from this summer where I said, you know, the Texas people are going to be a little shocked when they get in the sec and they find out that, in terms of esteem and, and everything else, they're on equal footing with Texas A&M. And, and some Texas fans are like, you sure about that? And I'm like, y'all both got your asses kicked by Arkansas. So it's not like, <laughs> it's not like you beating Texas Tech or, or TCU really helps your case here. That's uh, so great. But uh, no, you're, you're right though. It's, it's impressive what Wake's done. And I was reading your story, by the way, if y'all haven't read Andy's story on the athletic.com about, Wake Forest and what they've done with these super seniors. It's it's impressive. But 15 of 22 guys on the defensive two deep that are in at least their third year. Yes. It's that's crazy. impressive. That's impressive. You the, that's impressive you roster the management. Stat, though? The, the weirdest stat about all of this is there's still over 50 players who have three years of eligibility at the end of this. That's impressive. <laughs> it's that is that is season. some that is so that is some sitting in the house playing NCAA and managing your roster at three in the morning type <laughs> <Yes>. expertise. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a pretty impressive by Dave Clawson. Yeah, if, if, if Dave Clawson doesn't want to coach football anymore, I think he has a future as a capologist in the NFL. <laughs> squeezing those numbers in is is pretty impressive. So, yeah, that's the, that's the the part that I find fascinating, and it, and. You know, Stuart and I talked about this on Friday, Sam, and he had a really interesting theory because we were talking about how it felt like there were there were teams that were having these existential crises like Clemson and Oklahoma and what's wrong with so-and-so? So-and-so can't block. Like, Wisconsin can't block. Clemson can't block. Oklahoma until Saturday couldn't block. So it's not that there's this big problem – it's something you got to fix, but the problem is, is it's kind of the one thing you can't fix mid year. Mm-hmm. And, and Stuart had an interesting theory about that, where he was saying that, you know, at the, at the super premium programs, they lost a year of development for those guys. Yep. And they had the normal attrition guys leaving for the NFL, that sort of thing. And so it put them behind these other programs that got super seniors back who either, aren't going to be NFL players or we're like, well, I'm going to get drafted the same place either way. I may, come, may as well come back for another year. And I, I do think, you know, that that has helped teams like Wake Forest. It has hurt teams like Clemson and it has brought kind of the, everybody closer together, except maybe Alabama and Georgia. You know, I, I have a, a another theory on that too. And I was talking about this with, with Jason 
Kersey yesterday and, and Grace Rayner earlier this week. You mentioned Oklahoma and Clemson and the struggles they've had. I'm starting to wonder, and I, I talked to Steve Sarkeesian about this recently. We, we've gotten to this trend where we play quarterbacks in their second year. The five, you get mm-hmm. you get the highly rated quarterback and you play him in your second year, and and I see I see some of the struggles that Spencer Rattler is going through, I see some of the struggles that DJU is going through, and some of those I wonder if it's just because maybe these guys, you, not every one of these guys is Trevor Lawrence or Tua Tagovailoa, right? Not everybody's ready to do that right away, and and combined with the line issues, so you've got issues up front with these teams that can't block, but you've also got quarterbacks who've got thrown in the fire really early. I think about Hudson Card at Texas, who clearly was not ready for that in Fayetteville, but we, you've got to play the guys. Cause if you're the head coach and you've got this quarterback and you don't play him, he's going to transfer. Cause yeah. it, you know, well, I, I Caleb right Williams, if Caleb Williams doesn't play by next year, he's probably gone too. just, that's just the reality of the situation in 2021 in college football. So I wonder if that also, and you look at a team like wake, that's got an experienced quarterback these teams that have quarterbacks that can develop, that can sit and wait, or that can get a lot of reps before they get out there, it, it, those teams are at an advantage at this point too because you, either they've got quarterbacks who have been able to spend time, grow. I mean, heck, A&M's going through it right now with uh, Zach Calzada and, and Haynes King. Well, you, you want to know the interesting thing about Wake on that front is Sam Hartman was starting, lost his job to Jamie Newman, had people in his ear saying, "Go somewhere else. Go so you started as a true freshman. You're going to be you you're going to be on a, a hot commodity. Go somewhere else." Decided not to. Jamie Newman leaves to transfer to Georgia. Never winds up playing at Georgia. But Sam Hartman winds up being the starter. And so, and this is the thing I always say that that nobody wants to hear. Sometimes it's better to be the backup at a Power Five program because you are one bad snap or one dumb decision away from being the starter at a power five program. So don't feel like, because you're not there yet, especially if you redshirted one year and, and you're, you're a redshirt freshman, like hang in there just, just for a year, at least you will get a chance. Like something will happen. You will get a chance. Yeah, no. And, and I agree that, and now, and I'm look, I'm not one that's, wants to say, hey, don't transfer. You never transfer. I think it's good that they no, have the player I, movement. I'm glad they have the opportunity, but I think you've got to think about it before you do it because I think a lot of guys leave too early, and that's how you see some of these programs are like, how, how'd that guy wind up playing quarterback here? Well, because all these people left because mm-hmm. they weren't patient enough to realize they are one a, a couple bad throws away from being the starter. Yeah, and and, and again, it's tough. Not everybody is built to play right away, but again, the coaches feel pressure to do that because if you don't, you may lose your guy and you may have a very thin quarterback room. So it becomes this musical chair game. And and if what happens if you play a guy early and he struggles and you damage his psyche? How much does that hurt him long term? It, it does. Does that does that hurt him long term? If it doesn't, some guys have the resolve where they can come back and do it. But I, I've wondered that if part of the reason why we're seeing. Clemson and Oklahoma and teams like that have some struggles offensively. Yes, some of those problems are up front, but I think some of those problems also maybe stem from the fact that a guy like DJ, you just guess what? He hasn't played a lot of ball. You know, things like yep. footwork and 
and timing and accuracy. Some of that stuff, some of that just comes with reps and, and the more reps you got, the better you are. Now there was a guy who played as a true freshman who, uh, who just seems to be getting better and better. That's Jaden Daniels. As we speak, one minute and 47 seconds to go. The clock is ticking. Arizona State is up 42 to 23 on UCLA. So UCLA was the darlings of the Pac-12 coming out. Uh, their only loss was to Fresno State, so not a non-conference loss, but they were about to take their first Pac-12 loss. And all of a sudden, the Sun Devils seem like your favorite to win the Pac-12 South. <laughs> Get it in before the NCAA shows up. <laughs> oh i love it i love it hey um let it all hang out until they come and shut you down all right it's such Uh, a beautiful dumb sport it's (laughs) it's so perfect this this is i'm watching i'm watching herm edwards and antonio pierce talk right now (laughs) and they're and every coach in america is mad at them because they had recruits in the facility during covid and everybody agreed they wouldn't do that, and it's just like, okay, they're they're gonna they're gonna get that banner. That banner stays forever, <laughs> or maybe they make them take it down. I don't know. Can they even do? Do they even do that anymore? They vacate things anymore? Does it matter? They do, but I don't know that it really matters at this point. Do we do we even observe them as reporters at this point? Uh, the other thing is, is how long is this thing going to take? Because that—that's the other thing—is these things seem to take a long, long time. Oh, the, yeah, these these players will be long gone, and then some players that had nothing to do with anything will get punished for it. Because yeah, that's that's how that's it goes. NCAA. Yeah. Well, another incredible week, and as we look forward to to next week, I, I think you know it's just it, it. Other than than Penn State, Iowa, there aren't a ton of just marquee matchups. But those are those are usually the weeks when when things go completely berserk. So I'm all for that. Let's let's hope this this keeps up. All right. We saw some separation. We feel like there's two teams that are definitely the two best. And you know what that means? It's time for college football to prove us all hilariously wrong. See if that happens next week. <laughs>